the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. Good morning, everyone. Morning. I'm Andrew, and I'm a member of this church family all of the time, and some of the time I work up on the campus, um, working with university students of various uh, groups and communities, and I just really want to welcome you to, um, to this time together this morning. Now, to start, I would like us to do a very quick experiment. I want to find out the different ways we follow the news. So when you kind of see the thing that you most do, maybe every day or maybe a few times a week, that's how you follow the news. I need to put your hand up and then we'll kind of see which one wins. So if the main way you get your news is through a newspaper, put your hand up. Okay, it's a few, it's a few. Yeah, it's still got a bit of life left in it. Jolly good. How about online? Podcasts and, yeah, quite a few people. Um, How about TV or radio? Yeah, quite a few, quite a few. How about you're relying on your friends to tell you what's going on in the world? Yeah, a few, don't blame you, that's good. Curated news, that's what we like. Who just avoids the news altogether? The world's too scary and just rather, yeah, yeah, don't, don't blame you, don't blame you. Now, how do you think that God, in the times of the Old Testament, communicated his news to humanity? Last week, Lizzie uh, really helpfully explained that God spoke to his people through people, messengers, who we often call prophets, to call the people back to obedient relationship. Today's focus is the other side of that very same coin, the gospel. In many ways, our series so far on the Bible Jesus read, looking at the Old Testament, has led us to this point. Creation and the fall, Abraham and covenant, Exodus and the law, David and kingdom, and the prophets, they all link in with and point to the gospel. Now, you might be sat there and thinking, I've lost a plot. Isn't the gospel a New Testament thing? Mark's gospel, Luke's gospel, uh, In a way, you're right. The word gospel indeed comes from a New Testament Greek word, but it's actually a translation of the ancient Hebrew word for good news, particularly God's good news. And it's not new at all, but firmly of the Old Testament. Frankly, I don't know why they they switch up the translations, but it's the same thing. It's a bit like re-watching a murder mystery that you know well. Something that was innocuous the first time round has significance now that you know the ending. It's a clue that's been there the whole time. Likewise, once you know what you're looking for, you'll begin to notice the gospel or God's good news throughout the Old Testament. I want to keep things simple today. So we're just going to focus on a few short passages from just one prophet, Isaiah. But what Isaiah 
says and what uh, kind of is true of him is fairly representative of the other prophets and the, the Old Testament as a whole. Now, God gave Isaiah his message a few hundred years um, after the time of David. The first half of Isaiah's message is about God's judgment on Jerusalem. That's representing God's people, judging them for their idolatry and their corruption, their injustice. God says, Babylon is going to besiege you, Jerusalem, and is going to take your people into exile. Now, let's just pause the prophecy there for a moment. About 100 years after Isaiah, this part of the prophecy did actually come true. The Babylonian Empire defeated Jerusalem and took into exile its inhabitants. Jerusalem, literally and spiritually, lies in ruins. And it's into this desolation, this desperation, that the second half of Isaiah's message speaks into. Now, I'm going to introduce us now to um, chapter 52, some verses, um, verses 7 to 10 from chapter 52 of Isaiah. This is going to be our main passage, um, and this is going to be a reference point. Um, so if you have a Bible to hand on your phone or in, in page form, do try and find it. But it's also going to be on the screen. So Isaiah 52, starting at verse 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, you watchmen, lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. I wonder what your gut reaction to that is. Is it wow or is it what? Either is valid. To help us uh, navigate um, our way through this, Christopher Wright um, recommends three horizons, what he calls horizons. Isaiah is speaking to three distinct horizons, three future points in time. He's speaking to an Old Testament horizon, to a New Testament horizon, and a new creation horizon. And as we go through each of these, we'll see that there is good news for exiles in Christ and for the world. Let's begin with uh, the Old Testament horizon. Good news for the exiles. This is perhaps the most straightforward horizon for us to get our heads around. When the Israelites were exiles in Babylon, these words promised that they would return home. That gives a hope that one day feet will run ahead of you from Babylon to the ruins of Jerusalem with the good news that the people are coming home. Shout together with joy because God will be freeing them from captivity once more and redeeming Jerusalem. And I wonder, does that resonate with you? Do you feel a bit like an exile, a bit like a captive, a bit like 
You're just not in that place of safety where you want to be. Life is hard. Maybe these are words of hope that one day change will happen. Of prophecy generally, Christopher Wright says this. God not only warned the people, the Israelites, of the dangers of rebelling against him, but also promised that beyond judgment lies the prospect of forgiveness and restoration. The whole relationship between God and Israel was founded on grace, and it will continue by grace. These words kept them going uh, through the decades, decade after decade when they were still in exile, life was still hard. One day, we'll be able to proclaim the good news of peace and salvation and restoration. And 70 years after uh, the exile began, the Babylonians, they were defeated by another empire, the Persians, who did indeed release the Israelites from exile and they returned home. Good news. The prophecy had come true. But if you... I've noticed something over our series, or if you have read anything of uh, the Old Testament, you will notice a cycle that no sooner has God uh, rescued or saved or blessed the Israelites, do they settle back into old habits. This tells us that the good news of Isaiah is not done yet. It's only been partially fulfilled. Now, we've recently had the political party conference season, and with a general election a year or so away, it's a really important time for each of our party leaders to spell out who they are, what they're all about, what they want to do. All prospective leaders, whether it's a big CEO, political leader, or even just a team leader in the place that you might work, all leaders have to do something like this. And Jesus was no different. But Jesus, he used the words of the prophet Isaiah. Here's a snippet. We find this in Luke chapter 4. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And Jesus um, says today this scripture from Isaiah 61 is fulfilled in your hearing. This really is the Bible that Jesus read. Here he is reading the Old Testament. Isaiah spoke 700 plus years uh, before Jesus, but his words were pointing to Jesus the whole time. Jesus is good news. Let's go back to our main passage in Isaiah 52. Can we notice some signposts to Jesus? Verse 7, your God reigns. Verse 8, when the Lord returns to Zion. Verse 9, he has redeemed Jerusalem. Reigns, returns, redeems. That sounds pretty Jesus-y to me. But if you want something a bit more obvious, a bit more explicit, let's turn to the next chapter, Isaiah 53. Now, as I read verses 4 to 6, do they sound familiar to you? Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we consider him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. 
But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We often hear these verses during Advent and Christmas because it's all about the promise of Jesus. And the thing that strikes me is how profoundly detailed this prophecy is of exactly what this good news of Jesus is. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We're all lost. We've each turned to our own way. We made ourselves lost. And I see each and every day in my life this pattern established in the garden of living my life for me to be done my way. Isaiah uses words like transgressions, iniquity and sickness to paint a pretty sorry picture of us when we're not right with God. We see that we're due suffering and punishment. That's the inevitable consequence of doing it on our own for ourselves. But he took up our pain. He bore, he carried, he took on our suffering. Was pierced and crushed for us. Everything about us that was wrong or broken has been dealt with. And this vivid picture was given hundreds, hundreds of years before Jesus faced the cross. The cross was not God's afterthought. The cross was not God's backup plan. God's plan to rescue you has been an eternity in the making. It's been written down for thousands of years. God had us in mind when he created the cosmos. He had us in mind when he made covenant with Abraham. He had us in mind when he freed his people from slavery. He had us in mind when he established kingdom and he had us in mind when he spoke through the prophets and he had us in mind when Jesus suffered the cross. God did all this in order to invite you. God asks you, are you ready to come home? God asks you, are you ready to believe this good news that Jesus died in your place so you can enjoy peace and love and forgiveness? God asks, are you ready? He's ready. He's ready for you. Come to him. Let's
turn our eyes to the new creation horizon. Good news for the world. Whether you've accepted Jesus, embraced all that he has to offer for you just now for the first time, or whether you've been a Christian for a long time, you will see that there is still plenty of brokenness and pain in the world, in our lives. And Jesus tells us that this is going to be the case. But it also tells us that the good news is not done yet. Even in the cross, Isaiah's message has only been partially fulfilled. Isaiah is speaking to a third horizon, the new creation. Perhaps this from Craig Bartholomew and Michael Goheen resonates with you. It certainly was true uh, of me for a while. Though today some Christians believe that Jesus came to enable us to escape this creation and live eternally in an otherworldly heavenly dwelling, such an understanding of salvation would have been entirely foreign to the Old Testament prophets and to Jesus himself. Wait, what? This might be news for you. The ultimate point of the Christian life is not to escape all this. So what is it that we're meant to be looking forwards to? Let's go back to our main passage in Isaiah and look at verse 9. I think it gives us something of a clue. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people, he has redeemed Jerusalem. Jerusalem. What was once ruins has now been redeemed. A transformation has taken place. Where there was once weeping, there is now songs of joy. Now, Isaiah, uh, in his message, he unpacks this um, even more in chapter 65. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. God is going to create new heavens and a new earth, a new Jerusalem. A permanent era of rejoicing with no sorrow. And this is, a, uh, this is reaffirmed with much the same words in John's New Testament vision in Revelation. Both Olamu and Goheen show us how some of the big Bible themes that we've looked at in this series are drawn together, tied up for good in the new creation. The physical rejoining of heaven and earth is a dramatic image of restored peace and harmony between the creator and what he has created. God himself comes to dwell on the new earth with humankind. Sin and all its effects are removed. There is no more sickness, pain or death because the relationship between God and humankind has been healed. God is once again as close to us as in the day when he walked with our grandparents Adam and Eve in the garden. 
Relationships among human beings too have been healed. Love reigns. The whole of human life is purified and even the non-human creation shares in this liberation from the former slavery to sin and death. God does not intend for us to escape the world. He intends to restore the world, to heal it, to recreate it, to re-inhabit it with us. It's at this point that the good news will be fully and finally fulfilled. But what, why doesn't Jesus come back now? Why draw out our time on this old earth? Well, only God knows the full answer to that. But I think um, in our main passage again, there's a clue as to an element of the reason why not. Look at verse 10. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. In our Old Testament horizon, Abraham was blessed to bless all nations. In our New Testament horizon, Jesus told us to share the good news with all nations. With our new creation horizon, we see every nation, tribe, people and language in Revelation 7. In Romans 10, uh, Paul quotes our passage um, in verses 14 to 15. He says, how then can they, um, people, call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. God wants the feet of his church to be beautiful. God wants our feet to carry good news. The way people will be able to believe in Jesus will be because people like us will introduce them to him. Each one of us is here because someone at some point introduced us to Jesus. So if we want to see our loved ones, neighbours, colleagues enjoying the restoration of the new heaven and earth, we'll need to take that first step in sharing the good news we once received. We need to have beautiful feet. The gospel is this. The good news is this. God is in the business of redemption through Christ. He has redeemed, he is redeeming, and he will fully and finally redeem. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the ancient words of Isaiah. True for us now. Thank you for how they convey how much you love us. 
and how, through Jesus, you restore and redeem us. Help us, Lord, to hold tightly to you, our Father. And by your Spirit, help us to share with those we know that this good news is for them too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're now going to have a time of communion.